Hi, I'm Claire McCallan, and you're watching Disney Channel. <laughs> Unfortunately, you're not. I'm sorry. You are listening to me present on Letters from the Least, a production of the Gretzley Podcasting Network. And today, unfortunately, instead of watching Cadet Kelly, you're going to listen to me spit rhymes about rugged femininity, a topic near and dear to my heart. Love your dreams, work hard, stay focused. A lot can change in a year. I know this, but even if it doesn't, don't let that break it down. Your goals and your dreams is where the magic's found. Failure's something that we all must accept, because the only thing worse than death is regret. You dig? But first, I goofed. I goofed on that last episode because I had sworn solemnly at the end of episode two that I was going to end every episode with a little book and movie recommendation for you. And then you know what? I didn't do it on episode three, which is incredibly like me. Really, really predictable. Could have seen that one coming from a mile away. Um, God put all my gifts into creativity and none into organizational consistency. So what we're going to do, no harm, no foul, is start this episode with a wreck and end it with a wreck. And then we'll be caught up, even though I didn't do one in episode one. So we'll start on recently I read, let's see, I've been on a kick of Maeve Finchie books. She is an Irish author who passed away maybe seven, seven or eight years ago. Um, so pretty contemporary. And she writes the most wonderful stories. And it's just, she's the best at what she does, in my opinion, when it comes to weaving character arcs together. And all of her stories are based in Ireland and just have so much character because of that. And I can't get enough of it. And I always find her at secondhand bookshops. So I'm sure you all will too. Um, if you're going to read a little Maeve, as per my recommendation, I would suggest you start with Quintance. That's what I started with. It's a perfect one to start with. She has a whole universe of characters that keep coming through all of her different books. So you really get to know this little made up community. Uh, unfortunately, every time I go to a secondhand bookstore and I ask if they have any Maeve Benchie, they tell me it's in the romance section. They say it's next to, who is that woman, Nora something, who writes the romance books. It's so insulting. Maeve Benchie is totally not a romance writer. Um, and I take it really personally. And then I always feel like everyone at the bookstore is looking at me like I'm there to get some some trashy trash, but it's not true. So go check out your romance section, I guess, at your secondhand bookstore. Find you some non-romance Maeve Benchie and enjoy that. And as for a movie or TV suggestion, I am watching right now How to Marry a Millionaire. Um, it's an old Marilyn Monroe movie. I've seen it before. I absolutely adore it. She just, Marilyn makes me laugh. The writing is super sharp. The outfits are to die for. And if I'm lucky, maybe How to Marry a Millionaire is more than a film and a bit of an instructional manual for me. So today's topic is rugged femininity. And we are going to just dive right in with a poem because I think this will introduce the topic a lot better than my ramblings ever could. Poem one. Men, you are softer than stone and women, you are stronger than water. Men produce more than an heir and women be more than someone's daughter. Masculine traits outline a feminine face as a soul falls behind society's pace. Constrained by the edge of a jaw or the curve of a hip, categorized by the length of a nail or the hair on a lip. A culture engendered. A concept remembered. 
of long-haired men in floor-length robes of a sword-wielding, stake-burnt Jones. If sainthood isn't masculine nor feminine, then whose is the swamp we find ourselves mired in? Obsessed with proper femininity and true masculinity, desperate to simplify divinity. So I wrote that while at my art residency at the Grunewald Guild. I'm gonna just keep plugging Grunewald away because I can't say enough good things about them and the opportunity. It was such a creative outlet for me and so much came out of it. And I wrote it at the time, I believe I was somewhat frustrated with misogyny and sexism within my own community, within my church, the greater church, you name it. And the flip side of that is these impossible masculine standards that we uphold men to, of what they have to be, and especially not allowing them to communicate their feelings um, and making that seem uncool and unmanly. And just looking at when we look at the history of our church, you know, I included it in the poem because we were literally built by all of these long haired men in, you know, their robes. They look a little bit like dresses, right? And we we talk about this incredible female saint of Joan of Arc who is so BA, you know, and she's sword wielding, she's stake burned. We look at all of these incredible female saints and martyrs who were just like tough, tough cookies. And we see that sainthood for a man or a woman can't be limited by the silly ways that our culture will try to convince us to limit it to. And it has so much less to do with you know, those weird, arbitrary standards of masculinity and femininity. They don't come from God. They don't come from our church. They come from this, this new modern culture that we're part of and this worldly culture that we don't really want. Um, when our church really transcends that and our identity as man and woman really does transcend those limits that the world will try to place on us. We know this. We know that that with God, we're limitless. And it's it's really our culture that tries to limit us and puts us in these categories. So that's kind of opening up our topic. I personally, hmm, you know, I think I'm just going to use myself as a great example of this. I've always been a little bit of a tomboy. You know, I... I love going outside. I love hiking, especially when Miriam makes me. That's when I like hiking the most is when she forces me outside to do it. But also I really love my crazy tulle skirts and like bright pink high heels and all of these things. And I don't think we can limit the female experience to one or the other. It's craziness. And we can own our identities as I'm not going to say princess because man I hate that I hate that so much when people are like God, God's the king and so you're his daughter so you're his princess it's a little trite and it's it's a little it's a little belittling I think a lot of the times uh it's you're, you're so much more than that you're think of yourself a little bit more as I don't know just think of yourself as part of the royal line but princess feels a little belittling and there's so much more to it like maybe a little bit of princess but but warrior princess you know you're not the one locked up in the tower you're the one out there slaying dragons and so that is where this second poem came from that concept of being warrior princess especially in our modern culture and fighting for transcendentals and fighting for god as a warrior princess in our culture. So poem two. Come, look quickly, but don't make a sound lest he hear us and ignite our matchstick limbs there. 
there he is. The dragon who fancies himself St. George. I want you to remember this day forever, my dear girl. Remember it by the heat crisping your skin and the smoke smiting your eyes. Etch it onto your bones so the next time someone simplifies the creature before you as mere saint or mere beast, you may unfurl the scrolls of your skin in citation. And with the proof in your memory and on your humanity, tell them the truth. That there is nothing more tragic nor dangerous than a bad man who believes that he is good. When villagers villainize the beast, it'll be your responsibility to remind them that no one was more surprised to find the princess charred than the dragon himself. Paint for them a picture of the dragon's horror at the bones and bits smoking in his clutch where just moments before his muse had languished. Remind them that if they hadn't been taught how to salve and to hold, they might have grasped with palms of fire too. The villagers may never accept what you tell them, for it's easier to understand ashes and rubble in black and white. Tell them anyway. Even more daunting, though, is your responsibility to explain to the creature himself that the scorched earth in his wake makes him more serpent than blessed warrior. He won't take the news lightly. He might curse you in fiery tongues, excusing fatalities as collaterals of a holy war. Or in an instinct of fear and honesty, he may cower over his pile of gold and jewels with his whole massive being. He bellows about how these treasures are his God-given right. Do not hate him, but rather pity him. Difficult is the path of the man or beast who believes that God's great intention for him is possession. My dear, my warrior princess, do not let yourself be held by dragons, but do not be afraid of them either. Most dragons are just saints on fire. Cool them with your mercy. So that poem, fun fact, um, is my favorite thing that I've ever written. Also written during my residency at the Grunewald Guild. It's crazy what a little bit of time and space in your own studio and some people who believe in you will do. Uh, that is my favorite thing I've ever written. And it speaks to me as a young Catholic woman who wants to see themselves and tries to be kind of that warrior princess and to be taking such an active role in trying to fight for the transcendentals. And I also think that it speaks to the unique capabilities of women and the feminine genius. Um, I had to give a talk maybe six months, a, years ago, a year ago on the feminine genius. And first of all, the poems were awesome because they just said, Claire McCallan, feminine genius, as if like it was announcing me as the feminine genius. <laughs> Um, so loved that. But what I didn't love is the fact that I realized like two days before the show, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know anything about the feminine genius. And I, I don't think that I can fill the whole show with this. I can do my poems, but when it comes to just the ramblings, I need, I need facts. I need information. So I went to the Franciscan University Library. I've spent so much more time in that library post-grad than I ever did as a student. Uh, but it's a great library, and I found some incredible information on the topic of the feminine genius. And there really is so much that women bring to the table, which is why today's topic is this rugged femininity, this warrior princess mentality. And one of the things that women have that is unique to us is, of course, the womb. 
we are built with this empty space within us, this capacity to have and to foster and to grow and to bring newness into the world. And we, I think, if we're going to get real poetic with it, we can hold so much in there, whether it's holding, you know, there's a very literal, like you're holding life, you're holding the potential of newness, but just holding potential, holding creativity, and also holding pain and holding suffering and holding all of this confusion. We take on so much and we hold so much within us and everything in our being churns to make something new and beautiful and good, new life. It procreates right out of our very being. And that's incredible. And in this poem, I tried to address this a little bit because I have this warrior princess who is being instructed not to just go slay the dragon. Uh, That's so basic. Uh, Not to slay the dragon, but to understand that most dragons, aka most of the bad guys, really, really don't see themselves as the bad guys. We love these movies where, right off the top of my head, I'm, I'm thinking of, you know what? Eh, not really. I guess not. I was going to say the Avengers, but most of the bad guys in the Avengers don't necessarily see themselves as bad. Like even Thanos is thinking that he's doing the right thing by having the world's population. Um, That seems like a really good time to mention how much I like the Avengers. Um, But I guess we can use Thanos as an example. Most of the bad guys don't see themselves as the bad guys. They might understand that They're doing some bad things to get to their goal, but they truly, truly believe that they are doing the right thing. And I think we see this a lot of times with uh, the culture of death, as we call it, that we experience in our country and around the world. These people who don't hold the sanctity of life to the same standard that we do. But if you think for one minute, the people who disagree on these social issues think that they're the bad guys, you're out of your mind. You know, everyone who's fighting that battle on either side thinks that they're doing something amazing and they think that they're fighting for someone who doesn't have a voice and it's it's not as black and white as we like to make it. And so this, this dragon character in this poem is representative of these individuals who are maybe doing bad things, but they don't see themselves as the bad guy and just trying to kind of fire them down with our big old dragon breath is never going to work. What has to happen is these conversations and these explanations and these moments of kind of lifting the wool over eyes and showing people the truth and goodness and beauty, exposing them to the transcendentals. And I think that, as I was saying earlier, these women, these warrior princesses have a unique capacity for that um, because we, we can hold so much of our own hurt and other people's hurts within us. And that's what this process of convincing the dragons, um, both big and small in our life, is going to look like. It's going to require a very heavy capacity for us to be holding our own hurts and other people's hurts as we begin this process of healing and explanation to the various dragons in our world of why they are wrong on topics of life sanctity and racism, and caring for the poor, Catholic social teaching, this needs to be done with a grace that I really think women bring to the table. And this is our opportunity to rise up as warrior princesses. 
and see these supposed dragons, not as dragons, but as saints on fire and cool them with our mercy. So that's, that's my hot take. Um, our third poem is going to be a lot lighter. This is describing a day Miriam and I had down in Florida uh, last summer where we were laughing about it this morning because I told her I was going to put it on the show. And we were out on like the water's edge sitting on cement with our friends Mallory and Jenny. And we sat down, all four of us, and then we stood up maybe after like 15 minutes. And Miriam and I had these crazy sweat imprints in the shapes of our thighs and butt left on the cement and Mallory and Jenny stood up no problem there was no like weird gross trace that they had been there uh we were laughing about that and just like are we gross I don't know and that's where this piece came from and it's a it's a dear old favorite of mine um because like I've mentioned on previous episodes there's nothing to me like immortalizing those little ordinary moments between friends that are going to be you know the building blocks of our forever friendships so, poem three. I peeled my sweat-soaked legs off the cement, revealing a massive sweat stain. I studied it for a second and then wrinkled my nose in frustration. Is that really what my butt looks like? Miriam groaned and peeled herself off the spot next to me, revealing a twin-shaped stain. We compared them quietly. She laughed and pointed. Look, they're already drying up. She was right. The sun was drying our little puddles of shame right off the sidewalk. We high-fived, sweat-drenched palms slipping right off each other. Mir, I asked, are we gross? She genuinely considered it for a second and then landed on a very honest answer. Sometimes. We had had a number of these conversations over the last six years. The modern Christian femininity sold to us was always focused on virtue, but always somehow inexplicably mat between the icons and the instagrams it just never really looked like any of these ladies sweat i mean i'm sure they did but nobody was advertising it i touched my hand to my mouth you know how jesus actually had brown skin because he's from the middle east mir gave me a little side eye but played along motioning for me to continue so do you think that means that mary had i looked both ways as if the boy i liked might somehow be listening in so do you think that means she had a little, you know, I stretched my upper lip over my teeth and pointed at the dark little hair scattered across it. She started cracking up. Honestly, yeah, Mary probably had a little mustache. I pulled the ends of my mouth in opposite directions, wincing at the irreverence. Is that bad to say? She shook her head hard. No way. Facial hair, butt sweat, acne, a little something extra. She clapped her thighs for effect. I responded by waving both hands and letting my arms swing and jiggle. None of that disqualifies you from total Christian femininity. If anything, it makes you the perfect candidate. We're the descendants of Joan of Arc. Joan sweat for sure. I shrugged. Well, Dorothy Day sweat. We locked eyes and raced to see who could say it first, but just ended up shouting in unison. Mother Teresa! So that was just pretty much word for word, the conversation that we had that day, that kind of joyous realization that we were really following the line of a long line of amazing Catholic women who, you know, we see these icons and we see these portrayals where there is just never a bead of sweat and never a hair out of place, never any of these things, when in reality... 
these are these are gritty warrior princesses for Christ. These are hardcore ladies doing the hard thing time and time again, um, going forth and being missionaries and fighting for your faith. All of these things, they rarely look pretty, rarely as pretty as we see um, oh, on the Catholic online community. We have this attempt at beautifying the faith in what we put out on social media. And we are given this Catholic female aesthetic of what it looks like to be a good Catholic girl. And I think it's pretty harmful. Uh, you know, Catholicism shouldn't have a like weird tan filter on it. Uh, it shouldn't be rearranged to be neat and pretty before the photo. It shouldn't you know, be something that you can blur out your pimples and like tuck in your waist. And these things, these things are, can be a little scary, you know, because then you have these women who maybe are on the fence entering the church or part of the church, but have never really felt like they have a place looking at the church represented online, on Instagram, on Facebook, you name it. And they go, oh my gosh, that's not what I look like. Whether it's because it is so staged and so filtered or if it's so whitewashed because our online presence is really so, so very white, um, we're giving these incredible women, these incredible additions to our church, no place to see themselves. And if we go forth and we put honest images of ourselves online and of what this Catholic femininity looks like, and it looks like butt sweat, and it looks like the odd upper lip hair. I talked to Miriam about this ahead of time. I was like, everyone's going to get the upper lip thing. And she's like, yeah, totally. And I've talked to my friends. They're all like, yeah, everybody. But it's like, I'm putting this now online. It's like, what if my friends and I are the only ones with rogue upper lip hairs? And everyone's like, what? <laughs> I don't think that'll happen. I think everyone's going to quietly know what I'm talking about. Maybe not, not acknowledge it to their boyfriends. But <laughs> I think that a lot of times the way we portray ourselves online is detrimental and the world's waking up to that uh, in general. But now is the time, I'd say, for Catholic women to be a little bit less performative online and keep it super real. And I see some incredible ladies going forth and doing that. And I would just call that we continue to do that because when you represent your authentic self and put it out there, there's going to be some girl who sees herself in the authentic, unfiltered, unstaged version of you. And she won't see herself in the staged version, but she will see in the real version. And that that is your responsibility to put it out there and keep it real instead of trying to gloss up what it looks like to be a girl because this one-sized-all femininity is going to be the death of it. It's going to be turning young women away from the church because they're gonna it's not going to resonate with them. Um, which is why it's important for all of you to know about my butt sweat. <laughs> and this fourth poem is also written in regards to my friendship with Miriam. She has been, she just, she can't listen to this because her head's just made it so big, but she has been such a source of just stability and a challenge for growth. Very similar to my dear friend, Katie, you guys just when you show me those quote unquote ugly bits of yourself and you have that deep vulnerability, it gives me the chance to be vulnerable and me the chance to grow. And from that vulnerability, we all find strength, kind of bringing us back to the point of portraying a more honest version of Christian femininity online and in our relationships. So this poem 
kind of focuses on the relational aspect of that. So poem four. And since you showed me yours, I'll show you the ugly spots in my soul too. Look here, I keep jealousy tucked in my armpit like a newspaper. But if you were to trick me into raising my hand, you'd see a black and white headline sweat stained into the folds of my skin. Pinching your nose as you read, you'd learn a thing or two about the things I'd like to do and the people who have already done them. You'd learn a thing or two about me. I keep my morals locked in the birdcage I call my throat, and when it doesn't serve me, I keep it closed. Somewhere in my esophagus, an absolutist tries to sing, but afraid she'll sing off key, I toss the key. My knees are where my spine should be, and my spine where my knees, meaning my back bends when it should stiffen. And my knees stiffen when they should jump. I keep my lies in my belly button. And if I'm telling the truth, I think they might be starting to rot. I don't show the dark parts of my soul a lot. Alone, I close the blinds on my window and open the blinds on my eyes. Strip down and look at it. Really look at it. Dark spots on a body of light, I'm a disco ball. Glow stars in a childhood bedroom, I act above it all this one time, just this one time. I'll show you the dark spots on my soul. Age and bruise and wrinkle and scar. Calculating the ratio of blemish to clarity with an unforgiving eye. It's an unforgiving science. Self-reflection. So I called you in. A second opinion. It's a step closer to looking at the dark parts in a light place. So that was written kind of as an ode to those really, really special, rugged, warrior female friendships that I am so blessed to have and to have those people in my life who I do feel like I can show those ugly parts of my soul to. And if you listened to that poem and you thought, I don't think I have anyone in my life like this, any girlfriends who I could really like tell them what's up, tell them what I'm struggling with, show them the the parts of me that I'm not always proud of, the parts that aren't polished, the parts that aren't pretty, then my really tough love advice would be to get new girlfriends. Not all friendships are made equal, and it is a hard, hard thing to find someone who is going to love you even more for the fact that you show them those bits and bobs, but you'll be better for it, and you'll be better for having kind of exclusively those relationships where you can show them and they can show you and whether it's online or in our relationships, I really, really would continue to encourage you to show that reality of what a modern 21st century girl striving in all her ruggedly feminine glory for sainthood looks like. No filters, no, hi, how are you? Oh my gosh, I'm really so good. Like, no, like, how are you? And tell your friends tell the world, show the world, be an authentic representation. Because when you do that, you give permission to other people to come join the conversation, join the, the table, join the church. Your accurate representation of yourself as a woman is going to empower other women. And that is just about the greatest gift you can give while not having to do that much work. So 
Oh, I said I was going to end this episode with one more recommendation. Um, this one's, this is more just like you, you knowing what I've been reading lately. I don't think I recommend this one. I read the Alice Network last week. Um, I've only said good things about Miriam up till now, so now I'll, I'll trash her a little bit. It was Miriam's suggestion. I didn't like it. I, I sort of liked it. Um, it it's an interesting story. It's about, it's, oh, it's super timely for this uh, episode, actually. It is about female spies in World War One and World War Two. So the subject matter is super interesting. And a lot of the characters actually were real female spies. Um, and the Alice Network was a real network of female spies that were incredibly effective against the Germans in both world wars. So the story itself is very interesting. I will say that if you have a little bit of a weak stomach, I, I would definitely rate, rate it PG-13. Um, so not for your middle schooler or your high schooler. And sometimes I wondered, maybe not for me. It was making me a little queasy. An interesting read. I wasn't totally enamored with the writing, but that's because the main character was a mathematician and my eyes kind of glaze over anytime someone starts doing basic math. I, I really, I can't keep up. So I, I skip those paragraphs, but an interesting read nonetheless. And as for a movie or a TV show that I would like to recommend to you, Spinster starring Chelsea Peretti. And it is a total indie film. It has that feel to it. Uh, Spinster starring Chelsea Peretti. I'm pretty sure she produced it as well. It's gorgeous. It was shot in Canada. So it's just beautiful to look at. And it is just about her experience of being 40 and single and kind of something that I've expressed in my previous episodes about being intoxicated by and romanced by your dream for her. It's owning her own restaurant. You know, for me, it's, it's this podcast. We're all getting to live it out. Can't recommend that movie enough. Super family friendly, I believe. Maybe not. Maybe that one's PG-13 too. Maybe don't show your kids. Watch it first. Okay. <laughs> but I thought it was compared to most of what's put out in the world, very mild and very enjoyable. And I definitely has my recommendation. Uh, and this has been Letter to the Least with Claire McCallan, provided to you today by the Grexley Podcast Network. And if you enjoyed what you heard, or even if you didn't, may I ask that you go check out our Patreons that we can try to do better next time. <laughs> I hope you have a great day and God bless. Bye. Bye.